Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. And I'm Tom. We are Team Binge. We are back to talk about Silo. We're covering episode 9 and 10. As Tom likes to call it, that would be the penultimate episode and the finale. <laughs> so welcome back, all of you. Tom and I feel good. We haven't been struggling with technical difficulties for the last hour. So... <laughs> For guys that don't get paid to do this, we're wasting an awful lot of our life. Um, <laughs> speaking of wasting life, Tom, let's talk about episode 9 and 10. Uh, mm-hmm. We left on the cliffhanger of Juliet. Cliff jumper. G- cliff jumper. Very good. Thank you, sir. Jumping. Mm-hmm. And after I saw that episode, I texted you and I was like, Tom, crazy thought. Let's record 7, 8, 9. And really, selfishly, all I wanted to do is watch where the show was going for episode nine. So, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, I thought this episode was going to be about 30 seconds long with her falling to her death. But surprise, <laughs> surprise, there was a landing underneath. But before we yeah. go too far, Tom, mm-hmm. how'd you feel about episode nine leading to 10? I thought nine was again fantastic the way it's set up. It was kind of a bummer from a podcast perspective. Like maybe doing nine would have been helpful so we couldn't have a little bit more to theory craft on what we thought was gonna happen in the finale. But I loved it. Like I loved the setup. I love where they put Billings and him kind of like questioning the idea of the pact and everything else and what we get in the finale. And then obviously Juliet's kind of ultimate it turn at the end was just great. And seeing more of Bernard and Sims kind of really get into the weeds with their scheming was, was a lot of fun. What'd you right. think? I like this episode. What this episode made me realize is that everyone's really bad at their job. Like Sims <laughs> and Bernard can't find her and they've got all of these cameras. And it just seemed a little bit convenient how easy it was for her to, you know, slip and, and go from level to level. We Agreed. ultimately find out what allows her to do it. And that leads to just some great action shots. But no, <laughs> I uh, I've, I enjoyed nine. We led into the finale once again. I've read these books, didn't remember any <laughs> of this. So it's all new to me and all a surprise. But let's roll into episode nine. We, we know what happens at the end of the season. So we'll try and stick to episode nine. But there's a great mystery that's been revealed. And once you know <laughs> the secret... As Bernard knows, once the secret's out, it will lead to chaos. And so I plan on this podcast being absolute chaos because we know the secret. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Wonderful. The silo mirrors our own life, Tom. And by that, I mean we're just stuck in a bucket wasting our life away. (laughs) Anyways, judicial, they can't find Juliet, even though she was just like a staircase below. They were like, hey... Mm -hmm. Maybe you guys should be faster running downstairs. I mean, this is your whole life. Doesn't matter. The important thing here is this blinking keychain from Bernard. Obviously, mm. they make a point of showing it, and there is some real importance to this thing, right? Yeah, and in watching this first glance, because we had already theorized that there might be potentially multiple silos and that this 18 might kind of go to that. But this is the first, and when I say 18, I mean like matching the hard drive. But this is the first we see of this key and the way it blinks. Like, what what do you ultimately think this is? Is this like a communication device? Like, why does it blink? Is he communicating with other silos? Are they... Are they watching him through the cameras in some form or fashion? I'm, I'm very interested to see your thoughts on this. Yeah, let's go deep into it right away. My understanding was this is a warning light, and the only way it would be a warning light 
as if someone higher than them or someone outside of them is watching and is like, hey, Bernard, you got to get this thing straight because Mm -hmm. things are getting out of control. And the way he looks at it, because I don't think anything happens here that would have like triggered a alarm, right? She she just leaped off the balcony. She didn't do anything that would cause something within the silo that would be like a mechanical alarm trip, if that makes sense. So this definitely felt mm-hmm. like purposeful of big bad silo being like, hey, silo 18, get your stuff together because it's all about to go south. That's how I took it. And I feel like it almost, it almost even like vibrated when it was on the table so maybe it's like some sort of like pager communication device and again don't mean to jump Tom, too far ahead but this is such a <laughs> uh it was a means to let somebody know that you wanted to talk to them on the phone I tom think. did you have a pager i had a two-way pager that didn't work but it had like a game on it so that's what i used it for what kind of game are you forgive me audience what game are you playing <laughs> on a pager what I don't know. It was like a fancy one. It flipped open. It had a full keyboard. It was like one of those like keyboard phones before oh, they were available. that's not a pager, Tom. That is, no, no. The only thing you should one. be able to send is like one inappropriate word uh, on a pager. <laughs> My mom had a clear plastic purple pager that somehow mm. like we as kids got our hands on every once in a while. I remember going to school with it and uh, I don't know why I thought it was cool, but yeah, I had a I had stole my mom's pager for a day or two. Guess what? No one paged me. Classy. (laughs) No one paged me. Um, All right, we have the scene where Paul and his wife are fighting, and this is ultimately she is afraid that because of his syndrome and because of the stress that's on him since he left judicial, like she wants him essentially to quit and go back to judicial Mm -hmm. and and make their lives easier. But you can, I, I love Paul as a character. I think this actor does a fabulous dro- job. I don't know where I'm landing on like Paul's motivation during this episode in terms of is he for Juliet or against Juliet? And then I'm interested to see where his character goes through, you know, through the seasons. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll talk about it when he ultimately kind of finds that Georgia book. He's definitely having a. Uh, crisis of conscience throughout this whole episode because he's so by the book and so all in on this pack to have all this stuff just completely flipped upside down in the matter of hours or days here in these last two episodes it definitely changes him for sure um i do it was interesting to get more backstory with him too talking about when he was a kid and there was maybe somebody else that had the syndrome and they kind of saw it in each other and instead of like confiding or talking to this kid about what they're both clearly dealing with he decides to like punch the kid and like do everything he possibly can to hide, like in his words, his defect, um, which I thought was just terrible and awful for like a kid to have to feel like they needed to do this in this world. But sounds like in the silo, that is what he has to do. And that's how he kind of climbed the ladder here. Sure. Sounds like cold cocking people is well within him and Juliet's wheelhouse. So maybe <laughs> Juliet has the syndrome if it causes you to just cold cock people out of nowhere. But <laughs> indeed. Yeah, I. I do like the dynamic between him and his wife. I didn't, you know, I didn't enjoy the family meeting of it all where they're just yelling at each other, but mm. it is what it is. That's my yeah. own issue that I'm dealing with. <laughs> uh, but it is, it was fun to get his, his backstory. And once again, I'm just interested in the character that is Paul because there is a lot of complexity there. Mm-hmm. We have Sims visiting Doc Daddy, which <laughs> never going to get old saying Doc Daddy. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm glad this is recorded. In years from now, my children will listen and be like, hey, that was weird. And I'll be like, sorry, we did it. We did it for the tens of listeners we had. Also, I can't believe the internet still exists and has our podcast up. Anyways, man, I miss Tom. That's going to be my follow-up. I miss Tom. Doc Daddy couldn't save him. Doc Daddy couldn't save him. He said he was going to jump for the bushes. He said, aim for the bushes. Oh, Tom. Why, Tom? Anyways. I aim for the fans. I thought the fans could just blow me slowly back down. <laughs> That's what George was counting on. We're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. George is like, I'm flying. No, George um, is falling ahead. Jo- <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, speaking of falling, good point. There, This is where Doc Daddy mentions that there's like a smooth railing where people grip the bar tight before Judicial threw them over, which is a terrifying thought. But the understanding is that Juliet's mom and his wife, this is how she met her demise? Is that, he, is that what we're He mentions it's, yeah, from like the level one, so I guess all the way to the top. So people that either have the syndrome or I guess are suicidal, like they go to a specific spot all the way to the top. And he mentioned this is where his wife, I guess, um, met her demise and, and jumped. So again, there's still like, I think even Doc Daddy like confronts him about this and says like if it was or wasn't or maybe that's Juliet with Bernard later kind of wondering if it really was a suicide or if there was something menacing in and how she she lost her life right right do keep in mind in the pack talks about the founders had to do the research of what level you have to jump off in order to (laughs) ensure finality and so they started at like level 126 and the guy was like ow and then he went to 125 and he was like that hurts worse. And then 123 was a leg, so they had to swap him out for someone else. Uh, but they oh, once the they same got, guy. Yeah, 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 same guy. Uh, and well, they didn't have the mines back then, so a guy okay. like uh, Lucas would just be tossed off each until they find out. But when they got to one, they definitely figured out. Hey, once you jump off one, there's no, there's no ow, it hurts. So your assumption, that's what the experiments were in silo 1 through 17? Yes, they figuring okay. out how far you had to be to jump uh, in okay. order to, for the fans not to kick on and save you. <laughs> Anyways, that was all terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> Juliet sneaks into, I found this all a bit harrowing, which I know Juliet's not violent, but the way they shot these, her going into Sims's family, and holding the wife and son hostage and using the computer and then Sim's wife like picking the lock. All of this Mm -hmm. I thought was shot really well and I was definitely on edge because I thought Sims's wife was going to cave Juliet's skull in at one point but oh yeah all of it was very very tense and like I think it's it's Camille is her her name I think use it later on but um, we get a little bit right away that she's like an X-rater. So she is very capable of handling herself. We find out very quickly that she has her own gun. So whether that's like Sims or I, I don't know why she would be able to have one. It seems against protocol, but um, like we've seen, like Sims and her seem to have some sort of other other motives here. So I'm, I'm interested to see more about their dynamic too and potentially season two. Right. She wasn't wearing the hockey mask and pads, though, so it really took the intimidation factor down. I -hmm. kept thinking about Batman being like, I'm not the one in hockey pads or whatever, that line (laughs) from uh, The Dark Knight Mm -hmm. Rises, The Dark Knight Falls. It's Christopher Nolan movie. Tom, do you want me to name other Christopher Nolan movies? I'll do it. I'll do it right now. I don't. Uh, To your point, Camille does have a gun, which Juliet takes from her. 
And there is this kind of funny bit where Juliet's not real familiar with guns. <laughs> she's like, how many, she's essentially like, how many times do I have to shoot you in order for this thing to work? And <laughs> if I was Camille, I'd be like, oh, you're holding it backwards. You know, turn it around. Um, oh, and the safeties, that curved thing, pull that. And, and you know, I think, I think Camille could have used this to her advantage. But uh, anyways, guns, guns are not toys, kids. That's Back. my message because this is a mm-hmm. podcast for kids, Tom. Yes, thank you. Anyways, they're raiding Juliet's place, and Paul goes in, and he is trying to... His justification for showing up there, because he's supposed to be, I guess, twiddling his thumbs at his own house where Sim mm-hmm. sent him. But Paul is... His thought is, you know, if I can find something in here which will tell me why she asked to go outside. So he... Do you feel like... Paul is right in considering that Juliet actually asked to go outside, or maybe he should connect some dots here and be like, oh, they are framing her to go outside because she made me arrest Sims yesterday, and Sims might be holding a little bit of a grudge. Have you seen (laughs) that leather coat? Like, come on. (laughs) I think Paul here, like, he knows stuff's up just with his conversations with Juliet and everything leading up to this. And I think Juliet at some point even says, like while they're walking up the stairs and she makes her getaway, says like, I didn't say it. And he says, okay, well, you can have a trial. You can have whatever else. And that is a reason why he goes poking, I think. Otherwise, he would have just listened to Sims, stick with the pact, stick with the program, if you will, and and not do this. But he ultimately, when he gets here, he gets that tip from the same raider uh, woman that ultimately caught her like in the cornfield or whatever. She's the one that kind of says like, hey, oh, you used to teach same. me. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't make that Yeah, connection. you used to teach me back in school. Um, and she doesn't necessarily like say that she didn't say it, but gives him a little bit tip about, you know, some shenanigans kind of going on. Yeah. She's like, I don't think you'll remember me, but I took your class on balcony jumping. And <laughs> she's like, I was the, I'm the last surviving student. She's like, I jumped from floor one. <laughs> no, floor 126. Dang it. Ugh. I see the numbers confuse me. I don't know why, but the tallest one should be 126, right? And the lowest level should be one, right? Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I confused. Yeah, I could confuse my wife as well, and it took me a second to think about it. But yeah, the the silo top of the building is technically the is one. Floor. Yeah, mm-hmm. they should well, definitely be negative numbers. I guess. Hey, if you think Tom, you and I are <laughs> touching right now. We're touching brains because that's exactly what I thought. And it's yep. confusing because at one point they're talking about levels, and you see them go into the trash chute, and they start climbing down. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. You should be climbing up. And that's when I realized I had the levels all wrong. The TV didn't respond when I yelled at him, by the way. We have the conversation with Camille and Juliet. And she makes an interesting uh, point here where she says, listen, Sims, my husband is not in control of everything in the silo. Which, from what we've all seen, like there is a lot of power that Sims wields. But you Mm -hmm. are starting to see like the disconnect between him and Bernard and what type of power Bernard ultimately has, and what Sims is lacking. But the way she said this also makes me feel like she knows there's something like even higher than Bernard, if that made sense. Like, Did you read anything into this about him not being in control? She says it in such a mysterious way that I thought maybe she knew something more about the larger conspiracy. Was I touching something, Tom? 
I, I think you're right. I maybe got it a little bit more when Camille and Sims kind of reunite and then they have that kind of conversation about like focusing on their goal or, or I guess their end game or whatever it is. Because we get the idea of Sims potentially being like the shadow of Bernard and we've established that shadowing is like, I guess, being the apprentice. But we don't really know what Bernard's job is, right? Like we know he's kind of the bigwig and runs everything, but he's not shadowing. Like Sims isn't shadowing to be the mayor. He's not shadowing to be the IT guy. He's shadowing to be seemingly the king of the silo, I guess, and knows all this other stuff. So as much as, to your point, as much as Sims does know, there's clearly more that maybe what Camille and Sims are trying to do is is get to that next level and see how far that rabbit hole goes. I would 100% want to be the king of the silo. Call me King Julian of the silo, and I would feel <laughs> wonderful. And I There's would only make... one King Julian, and that's from Madagascar. <laughs> I know that's a movie. I know it's an animated movie about animals. I don't know anything more than that. So I will accept your reference by rejecting it because I don't know the movie. So The kids listening to this podcast are going to love that joke. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Go to bed, kids. <laughs> Juliet is looking through the hard drive while Sim's wife picks the handcuffs. This stressed me out to no end. I just wanted Juliet <laughs> to turn around and maybe pay attention. I did appreciate how Juliet went through like the drawers and cabinets. And she looked at Camille yeah. like Camille hid stuff in those drawers. It's like Camille didn't know she was going to get handcuffed today. Oh, like, she what? knew what she was doing. She oh, knew you what think she was doing. She when she said, yeah, when she oh. said like, uh, Juliet's like handcuff herself in the bathroom. She's like, I'm not going anywhere that I can't see the door in you. She purposely like goes to this pole knowing that there was like knives on the counter. There was like, yeah, all the tools or whatever. So I think she knew what she was doing. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. I would have had her handcuff me too, Juliet. And then we would have mm. ruled the silo as King and Queen Julian and Juliet. <laughs> Sorry, you've got me on this royalty kick, and it's all I can think about. I've been watching a lot of The Crown lately. Anyways, <laughs> Paul finds the book about George uh, in mm. Juliet's place. Every time it says Book of Georgia or whatever, I always think it says George, and I'm like, that guy was hiding a book. It's just pictures of him. It's like a yearbook of George. Well, I'm assuming uh, this is where he got his name, right? Like his mom who passed down this book or whatever named her son George because of... Pure coincidence, Tom. Nope, there's no way. <laughs> there's no way they're related. Pure coincidence. But this is where we get Paul, like I would say, officially going rogue here, right? Like he jams the door shut. He's doing his own little investigation, but then ultimately finds this book and it's clearly having a huge crisis of conscience. Like doesn't know what to make of the book at first. And then, I mean... I, lo I just love this scene and, and the way the actor kind of plays it out here, too. His mind is just racing. Yep, and ultimately rejects it by tearing the pages out and burning it. You could tell Paul wanted nothing to do with that book. Actually, <laughs> I, I'm interested to discuss Paul's motivation when we get to those moments because I would like to know what your thoughts are on mm -hmm. what he does with the book and what he does with the one page, which I'm assuming is probably a lady in a bikini on the beach is what he steals, <laughs> but I could be wrong. Who knows? <laughs> Lucas and Bernard are having a conversation, and has anyone been done worse than Lucas in this show? <laughs> like, I thought there was going to be a lot more to Lucas. Turns out he was just a guy that wanted to know what stars were and had a crush on Juliet, 
and uh, life is not going to go well for Lucas. Do you think? Yeah, I've got a thought. I've go got ahead. a thought. Maybe we'll we'll talk maybe at the very end of of Lucas's arc for this season of, of maybe why they introduced him. But yeah, he definitely gets gets it cold. And we we had kind of theorized the fact that Lucas was from IT. Maybe him and Bernard were working in some form or fashion. And you know the way he met Juliet was maybe suspect. But no, it seems all pretty on the level. And he was just uh, you know kind of admiring her and and took his shot. Yeah. No. That makes it worse if he was if, if his shot wasn't there wasn't some like underlying conspiracy to him making the move on her, then mm-hmm. he needs to learn how to read a room. That's all I'm gonna that's all I'm gonna <laughs> say. What do you think so we've got Bernard threatening Lucas for helping Juliet. Tom, how do you feel about Tim Robbins in this role? And I guess, do you have a relationship to Tim Robbins in some way, shape, or form? Like, is there a role that you think of him when you think of Tim Robbins? I feel, I I can't recall anything he's done recently. I'm sure he has still been very active. But for me, it's always like Bull Durham and Shawshank. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you like him in this role? There's something, like, I find him very menacing, but there's also like a comedic aspect that I don't. Mm-hmm. I feel like Tim Robbins can't suppress. He's <laughs> got to be funny in some way. So mm-hmm. I do really like him as this character. I find this character sometimes I have a tough time like getting the pulse of like is he a murderous jerk? Is he just doing it all because he truly believes in the purpose of the silo? There's a bit of sarcastic irony of I never wanted this job. Mm-hmm. I, he. He kind of has these, like, I'm kind of over it vibes, but then <laughs> he's threatening to send Lucas to the mines for 10 years. That seems overly <laughs> evil, you know? I feel like Tim Robbins does a fantastic job here, but I feel like this character is a little bit tough to get a, a read on. Am I'm kind of with you. Even, something? <laughs> even in the sequence, like when he ultimately just like really snaps at Lucas and started like, yelling at him and banging on his desk, like I kind of like giggled at some point. Or I think when he first banged on his desk, I wasn't expecting it. I think it literally gave me a jump scare. But yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's it's a nuanced role, and I don't I don't have a read for him. I don't know. Like he makes mentions about not wanting the job, or he thinks about leaving like once a day or something to Juliet, kind of towards the very end. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't know what to, what to make of him, what his motivations are. Because he's not pure evil, right? No, like, I no. think there's a part of him that is doing this for the silo, but then there's like a cold heartedness to him where he has to make these decisions, and we'll we'll talk about it farther down. But I find that there's like a comedic part to him where you're trying not, or you feel like he's about to break about to be like hey lucas you're going to the mine for 10 years psych i I don't know it was it was weird this is where they get in they he's talking to him about the hard drive and this is also where the number 18 comes up which you referenced Mm -hmm. earlier well and it's interesting too because the second he mentions 18 like it freaks bernard out so he knows the importance of this and like the fact that it does match up with the key like it makes me think that each silo maybe has a specific hard drive that is dedicated to it. And we know that this hard drive has massive amounts of files and data. We've only really seen maybe even scratch the surface of what's what's all on there. But I love like how wide his eyes get when he hears a number 18. Right. Once again, my heart goes out. Actually, my heart doesn't go out for Lucas. I don't really feel bad for him, but um, <laughs> that's probably just jealousy. Who knows? <laughs> Juliet deserves better. Anyways... Someone who knows what stars are. (laughs) 
Paul's reading the Georgia book. Once again, actor's doing a fabulous job. Just a lot of, lot of stuff happening for Paul. Paul just wanted yeah. to be sheriff, you know? <laughs> Instead, Juliet has kind of ruined his day. Yeah, literally turned his world upside down. And I think it's it's interesting. It almost seems like his syndrome is getting worse here, like, because he's just so freaking out. He's looking at that same page, I think, that Gloria was with, like, the beach and everything. And you can see his hand, like, very much uncontrollably shaking. So I'm wondering if just... Like the nervousness of realizing all of this as well as like the syndrome this is this is driving him to an edge i'm also super interested in what the heck the syndrome is is it scurvy do they not have enough limes down there what i don't know <laughs> I, I want this explained to me especially since if he's had it since he's a kid and i guess yeah, stress had it for that long stress mm-hmm. brings it on is that what's happening here is it Lack of vitamin D. I, I, you know, I, I'm very interested for them to explain this to me, but they don't. Not in this episode. <laughs> not in the next episode. So it looks like you and I are coming back for saison two. <laughs> All right. Bernard has a conversation with Sims, and I felt like this was kind of a passive aggressive <laughs> jerk boss thing, where he's like, "Listen, Sims, I really wanted you to be." the next like mayor king of the silo as tom likes to say (laughs) but it feels like you care a lot about your family's safety and i don't know i don't know i once again i I, bernard is all over the map for me Mm -hmm. yeah i mean he's definitely he plays that card like the silo is greater than family so this is not a vin diesel uh dom toretto type situation the family does not come first this is the opposite no Mm -hmm. true but yeah, what what do you think? Like after watching this, I guess in the final one, what do you think like Bernard's role is? Like is his role just to ultimately keep this specific silo in check? Yes. So here's my okay. thought. The guy that's running IT is probably the only one that would have any type of access to communication outside of the silo. So mm-hmm. I think Bernard has some sort of understanding of the outside world and what it takes for a silo to like run in harmony and for essentially what he thinks is the safety of the people inside they need to follow these rules in order to not expose everyone not Mm -hmm. for the silo to lead to everyone murdering everyone or whatever is outside to kill them i don't know but I, i do so i think the mayor is a figurehead i think the sheriff's a figurehead i think the you know, judicial. I think those are all figureheads, but I think when Bernard gives the speech about his role being really the most important one, I think that's because he has access to information that is outside of uh, what anyone else sees. So that and is, that's, is, is your assumption here, and now you may be just dairy crafting way too early, and this is maybe more for the end of the pod, but do you think if, if there are multiple silos like we kind of see at the end, do you think every silo operates the same? Like where they have this kind of hierarchical structure, or do you think like each silo is almost an experiment in and of itself to see which can last the longest in different simulations? Great question. Great question. I think that the outside threat is real. And so I think all of these silos are existing for survival. Whether mm-hmm. or not there are some different like rules being adapted for different silos in order to see which one lasts the longest. I don't know. I don't feel like we're given enough of that information. I do feel like they are being passed the pact and some things that they feel gives them the best chance to survive. 
but that's not to say there's not like a hippie free loving silo that there's no rules <laughs> yeah. and mm-hmm. just right you know it's no rules just right is that a local casino i don't know Tom, where I came up with that slogan. Is that Peter Piper? There's one There's one silo that's Peter Piper themed. It's just arcade games and like weird gross tokens and a bathroom that's always closed for cleaning and really bad pizza. Um, and that silo is probably going to last the longest because mm-hmm. Peter Piper's still going strong and even my kids want to go to Peter Piper, which doesn't make any sense because... Well, pizza doesn't have an expiration date. <laughs> Good point. Good point. I don't know. I'll pass the question off to you. Do you have a Do you have a theory on is this a Are these silos experiments or are these silos surviving and the pact is their best chance? I guess I was kind of cheating. I wanted to hear kind of your thoughts. But I'm going to hold mine to the end because I have some kind of bonkers th- thoughts that I've kind of thought about myself and then watched a couple of internet videos and. I kind of like some different ideas about what ultimately is kind of going on. Again, not having read the books and the videos that I did watch, I made sure I got them from people that hadn't read the books either. So we'll see. Well, I'm going to talk about it at the end. All right. Well, I asked once. I won't ask again, Tom. I don't care at this <laughs> point. You can keep your you can keep your internet research. All right. I don't okay. want it. I don't care. I don't even want to. You made me reveal my. You made me open my heart. Okay. <laughs> I showed you what was inside of my heart and how I felt about the silo. And then you're like, nah, I'm going to hold mine. So yeah, you opened your silo and I just spit in it. Yes. Yes. Jokes on you. I'm into that. Anyways, <laughs> Juliet searching the hard drive or podcast for kids. Tom, remember it. <laughs> Juliet searching the hard drive files. I love that. There's a file that says start here. She's like, Oh, that's convenient. It would have been so more good. convenient if you had dragged that up to the top, George. That would be my, my... Although, if they're in alphabetical order, you remember when files had to be in alphabetical... Anyways, this is dumb. I'm not going to talk about the interface of this stupid hard drive. I'm so mad at you right now, Tom. You did me wrong, all right? I don't know if I can continue. All right, I'm a professional. I do this for a living. I'll continue on. Thank you. Thank you, guest host. All right. You're welcome. <laughs> We have a video of George, and I, they're blown away by the idea of a video, which <laughs> I don't know. They live in a world where there are, I guess they're not TV screens. They're just windows to the... <sighs> they've got, I mean, they've got computers, and they know that there is a screen. Well, they know that there's video outside, yeah. right? Because they yeah. see people clean, but yeah, they don't video understand not, the concept. Yeah. This video them, should yeah. not be as mind-blowing as it is, but apparently mm-hmm. it is. And well, her George, seeing George, I think, is more, not necessarily the fact that it's a video. Granted, George does spend the first, like, 10 seconds explaining what a video is and what, oh, this is what they used to call it. But I think it's, it's her shock is, like, actually seeing George, George talking. <laughs> Thank you very much. Of oh, George kind of talking to her. And <laughs> I want to give you props because I think you jokingly called out that he was, what, George was filming a okay cupid profile or something uh, yeah this what, what is did not, you say? the video we get is not the joke that i made about what george was doing <laughs> with that video camera so you don't have to give me any internet points on this one tom you get uh, through but i was blown away george was wearing a shirt because mm. uh, typically when you make these videos <sighs> anyways all right i did have to pause i paused I and i confirmed that it was a shirt okay good 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 <laughs> and there was no written word good for you yeah. all right <laughs> Sim's wife picks her lock and she's watching this video with Juliet. Juliet does not get very far in the video. 
I didn't think Camille was going to murder her, but she didn't, and she does let her go. And my thought was, was this like self-preservation on Camille's part? Was she blown away by the video as well? She did not seem all that surprised by the video. So mm-hmm. maybe she knows more because she's Sim's wife. And she was I feel a like raider. she has to. Yeah, I feel like married to Sims, and it seems like they had an open relationship with what they kind of share communication-wise because she doesn't seem yeah, blown away by it. And almost like as she's watching it, she tells her, you have to turn this off. But I think ultimately her her drive here, her decision was for her son. And she understands that if raiders are going to come in here because she's connected this thing to their computer, that these raiders are trigger-happy and she doesn't want anything crazy to happen to, to her son. Sure. As she departs here, a bunch of cameras start to go out, Tom. And I need someone to explain to me why those cameras are going out. Because that seemed real convenient. And at this point, she's got no one working for her. Is there someone in that viewing room that maybe is on her side? The cameras going out was too convenient. Was she just running around with a wrench, jumping and crushing cameras? (laughs) What's going on here? I tend to agree. I was a bit confused by this. Like, it's one thing if a couple kind of go out and then they can kind of figure out, oh, yeah, she's just smashing them as she goes. But she doesn't know where every camera is at this point. My only assumption is, like, maybe it's that IT hacker guy we're going to meet here in the next scene, like, potentially helping out beforehand because they say he can kind of hack into these cameras and, and play around with them. But it almost seems like, yeah, they're getting actually smashed. So I feel like this is kind of fast and loose and like you had mentioned earlier, like they needed Juliet to just kind of get away. So they allowed her some like skullduggery to be able to get around. Wow, that's quite a term. Yeah, I don't think it's the hacker because this hacker guy <laughs> doesn't know what's going on until he mm-hmm. walks into this room, which is Patrick Kennedy and the redheaded IT guy. I believe we find out his name is Danny. Once again, all these people seem like they're about to be done real dirty by Juliet because she pulls them into their conspiracy and she's not going to be around when they get caught, tortured, and thrown off the railing. That's for sure. Facts, um, yep. But she... I love the guy that plays Patrick Kennedy. He's like... He's, he's so, so great. Good. He's like, I'm just here for the watch. Like, yeah. she thinks I'm doing it because of this, but I really just want that watch. And yeah, this dropping of the F-bomb is always just so timely and great. And even this new, like, Danny IT guy that kind of comes in. He's, like, super snarky like with the security guards. And he even makes mention that he had this drive before, which I thought was super interesting. And he was the one that sold it to George's, like, I guess, old girlfriend. And he couldn't crack it. So that was, that was a kind of an interesting reveal, too. Right, right. You brought up the F-word. I do want to... Listen, I don't want to be the war on Christmas guy, but this show... Other than the F word, with which they drop, like it's almost I don't I don't want to say jarring. It's a little bit out of place. Like there's nothing about this show that couldn't make it, like relatively. I don't. A lot of murder, Julian. It's a lot of murder. There is a lot of murder. I guess there's like, so maybe I'm maybe (laughs) I'm maybe I'm pulling on the wrong string here. But I do feel like if you would remove just the random F word, like this show is like pretty i don't know you wouldn't have to like not well not let kids watch it but we're a podcast for kids so they've already watched it and that's why they're here listening to us so Listen, never mind just words man i'm not against the words kids kids can hear about silly words it's the violence that gets me the the most oh, okay. but there's not incredible right. violence in this obviously people falling from silos not great but uh yeah they hear an f-bomb or two they can live that's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think what gets me the most is just the lack of lack of uh, American patriotism. You know, mm, that's what that's, that's what bothers me the most, and mm. the fact that 
I feel like all these people are communists, Tom, and I don't like that one bit. So this is why my kids will never watch this show. <laughs> Until they bring in some capitalism into this show, my house is boycotting it. <sighs> Although I have just spent quite a few hours of my life podcasting about this show. So mm-hmm. I'm all it's over for the map right now. It is for their benefit. It's for their benefit. <laughs> That's true. Let's go back to Paul burning a book. Speaking of... <laughs> Speaking of things that kids should be able to watch. Transition master. Paul Paul burns this book. Tom is a pro book burning guy. How excited were you when Paul set this book on fire? Do you burn books in your oven or are you a bonfire guy, Tom? Tell us about all the books that you've burned. Because oh. <laughs> I know you're not reading them, man. I know you're not over there It's what them. we use in the winter to, to keep, to keep <laughs> warm. Although we... We live in Phoenix, so this is why I don't have many books. It's 115 degrees. <laughs> Tom's like, you guys ready for a book burning? It's a little cold out there. I feel a breeze. This oh, is what we do man. with our cookbooks, because we don't like cooking in this house. So we, oh, we attempt to oh, do a wow. cookbook, and then we just throw it in the oven. Say, shots, cook this. Shots cookbook. fired. All right. Okay. All right. But what, right. what do you think he, he rips out and takes? I mean, obviously the idea is he's trying to take something small and portable that he can kind of take with him but i don't feel like we've seen the page or i'm wondering if the page he does rip will be significant in any any form he pulled out the page where the little card goes in for when you check it out of the library you know and you had Mm. to write your name and like phone number he pulls that page because he knows that if he turns that page back into the library he won't get fined so Mm. that's what he did what page do you think he took, Tom? Or did you make me reveal my silo again and you're going to save your silo for, I don't know, the finale? I've got an idea of what he might have pulled, but I'll let you know in the season two opener pod. <laughs> I, I, I don't like you right now. All right. All right. In the video. Oh, man. Here's a transition. Tom, I don't love you. George admits that he loves Juliet. So those are two things that are opposite right now. I would not leave you a video telling you how much I love you. Well, um, I love this scene because oh, get, there it is. Like George, well, there you go. George is admitting to all the things that Juliet found out about George using her and all this stuff. So all of it is 100% true. But then George admits like, yeah, that was my initial intention. But then I fell in love with you. And it is just heart wrenching to kind of hear this. And it certainly hits Juliet very, very hard. It's great where Kennedy and the IT guy and Danny are, are watching and Patrick Kennedy's like, hey, like, let's, we don't need to, the IT guy's like fa- infatuated with, with mm-hmm. the video and you give, they give her a moment and uh, Rebecca Ferguson just, she's all over the news right now because of the uh, Mission Impossible movie, but she does a fabulous job in this show and I hope that they lined up this show with the release of that movie because uh rebecca ferguson is a national treasure from i'm gonna say what did we say sweden is that right anyways british she's doing a great job she's probably she's not american i know that much because we americans are terrible actors (laughs) other than tom cruise and will Patton, those are the only american (laughs) treasures george talks about this giant door he's like listen i found the giant door Oh, by the way, the water was not an issue. Talk to me about why water is not an issue, Tom. What, what, what did he, how did he get around I mean, the water? Did he learn to hold his uh, breath? Is that what it was? <laughs> my, my two thoughts would be, 
initially my thought is okay it's shallow like it's so shallow she never actually got into the water i think she dropped her like headlamp and we saw it kind of disappear but maybe it's only two or three feet deep and you can just kind of walk in it and it just looks like it's super deep um so maybe that's why she doesn't have to worry about it or maybe there is some kind of mechanism down there from a mechanical perspective that she can very easily solve to drain that water and then get to the door. Mm. But I don't, I don't know from his perspective yet how he got to it. He said it's a big, massive 15 foot door. And again, the assumption is based on what we find out at the end. This is likely a door that leads to and connects other silos. Sure. That's the video game guy in you. That's like, Oh, you've got to go find the thing you spin in order to drain the water <laughs> yeah. in order to go through uh-huh. the door in order to make it Played through a lot Zelda's, of Zelda recently. Zelda's temple. <laughs> yeah. You get oh, me. Oh man. Yeah, so there's a door down there. I appreciate George being like, oh, the water, it's not going to be an issue. Long pause. And you're like, George, are you going to tell her Moving in on. the video how to get around the water? <laughs> nope. This is a, George is like, this is a TV show. So got to leave some mystery. Mm-hmm. He does tell her to look up the Jane Carmody cleaning, which is something you pointed out in the very beginning. So... I don't know. A hundred internet points to you. I hope those internet <laughs> points corrupt you, Tom, and lead to your downfall. Uh, I'm <laughs> so mad at you. Me. I hope it's like when someone wins the lottery and their life goes to crap. I hope the internet points you just earned from the Jane Carmody cleaning video. I hope that's what happens. No, Tom. No, it's already it, it's already gone to crap. I'm recording a podcast with you. Let's be friendly. This is my punishment. Truce? Uh, I'll be truce. All right. Truce. 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 This leads to, speaking of truce, this leads, Tom, you and I have one ambition. One ambition. Mm -hmm. Just like Sims Mm -hmm. and his wife. What is their ambition, Tom? Uh, To take over the silo, I guess. I mean, clearly to take over Bernard's job. (laughs) Be king and queen of the silo. Yep. It's about time. All right. Tom, what's your and I's one ambition? I mean, we already are podcast royalty, so... The correct answer is to be king and queen of the silo, Tom. So okay. obviously you weren't there for the family meeting where we discussed this. But okay. uh, you were yelling pretty loudly. King Tom and Queen Julian leading the <laughs> silo to greatness. Our first order of business, open the door. Let all the poisonous gas in because we can take it. We'll learn to be immune. Is there poisonous gas outside? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Let's I'll let you know in season two, episode two pod. I'll let you know. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a big prediction that we're going to make it to that season. <laughs> Anyways, uh, they watch the Jane Carmody cleaning, and she says the display is a lie. As you pointed out, we have that mm-hmm. same video of the birds flying in V. They're not even ducks. Like, normal birds don't fly in a V. doesn't make any sense, right? What What are your <laughs> yeah. thoughts on waterfowl, Tom, and the way that they fly? <laughs> Also, hockey teams and how they skate. The floor is yours, I, sir. I like the idea of ducks, but I hate them. <laughs> Can't stand them. Oh, quacking, man. Eating our bread. All right. Do you have any final thoughts on nine before we roll into the finale? <laughs> other than you don't care for ducks, <laughs> which is what all of this has been leading to. No, I think I've said it all. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, after this brief commercial break, uh, where I'm assuming an ad will be read for Mighty Ducks 7, uh, because no one can make original IP anymore, so I'm sure they're making more Mighty Ducks movies. Um, I hope Bombay gets over his drinking problem and teaches those kids uh, how to live life and win the Olympics. But anyways, on to episode 10. And episode 10 is called 
Outside. Tom, this is the finale. Mm. How did you enjoy the finale? I thought it was great, man. I thought it delivered on adding a little bit more mystery, but still giving us a lot of answers um, to be able to make this season feel whole and feel like its own story. I mean, they already knew, well, I mean, they didn't know, obviously, ending the production, but we know now that they are getting a season two. But even if they didn't, I think they did a fantastic job of giving us a a full, well-rounded story. (laughs) If they didn't get a season two, this would very much be like 1899's reveal, where it's like, hey, here's what's happening. Also, no season two. And you're like, okay, <laughs> I can live with this. I don't like it, but I can live with it. So mm-hmm. I did uh, I did enjoy this finale. I think we kind of saw it coming. We predicted a little bit of it, but I don't think they gave us so much that they left us with enough to want to come back for a season two and figure out you know what's going on in the great wide world. So I, mm-hmm. didn't, I did enjoy this. But we start with... Juliet, having just seen the Jane Carmody uh, cleaning display, she wants to show everyone. I love Patrick Kennedy's uh, response. He's like, what do you mean everybody? What, show them what? <laughs> like, he's just so great. Give him, mm-hmm. give him all the silo awards because uh, he's doing a fabulous job. But they have to depart because judicial's on the way. So Patrick, Danny, and Juliet start climbing down the garbage chute when they should have been climbing up based on how numbers and floors work. But um, I I did appreciate the garbage chute video game of... There should have been a guy leaning out the chute throwing stuff down at them rather than them just blindly <laughs> throwing garbage through. Like, right. uh, they're really trusting in gravity and the randomness of falling objects. But we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. Sims questions Paul and notices the syndrome he's like i can't help but notice you're holding your left hand in your right hand and then paul switches hands and he's like now you're holding your left hand in your right hand <laughs> and then he does he switches again he's like you're holding your right hand in your left hand now and that goes on for like 10 minutes and that was probably my favorite scene of the whole show i do appreciate that i mean sim comes in very hot here because he was like you know, talk about protecting his family and the fact that she kind of more or less came after his family, but he picks up that chair and like slams it kind of on the ground. That chair doesn't break. Now, if Marnes was in this room and he was messing with that chair, you know that chair was toast. Yep. A lot of chair acting in this show. And <laughs> I got to say, I think Common watched Will Patton and was like, I can do it better. And he, I mean, he, he goes like, Give me a metal here. chair. Yeah. Give me... <laughs> I'm sure there were like eight scenes where they cut and Common was like, why isn't the chair breaking? And the director was like, Common, you're not Will Patton. You never will be. And uh, he's right. Common's not Will Patton. It's Mm -hmm. uncommon to be Will Patton. That's all I'll say. Mm. Well done. Thank you, sir. Juliet plays the display all over the silo. This leads to probably the best comedy of any TV show (laughs) Ever, where Tim Robbins as Bernard shouts at everyone to cover their eyes. <laughs> oh, man. This it is was like so when good. nudity happens randomly on a show and a parent has to shout, cover your eyes. Uh, and they're like holding their hands over their eyes as they're opening up their fingers to yes, look through their fingers. Yes, they're looking through their fingers. <laughs> You had that one person do that, like, everybody else had put their heads down, but they're still just staring at the screen. And then, of course, he has the audacity at the end to Bernard just say, like, everybody needs to unsee what they just saw. Like, eh, come on, man. 
But I'm, I guess my question here is, what, where does this go? Like we see all the screens in this room change to this, but does it go on all the screens showing the outside where the people see, you know, everybody that has cleaned over the past decade or so? Like, does it go over that? I still don't understand. We got that blip in one of the early episodes where they shut off the power and it blips and changes to this beautiful outside world, but we never get anything from it. And I'm kind of odd. I feel like it is kind of an odd story element that they would bring that up and then not not touch on that in this season. Well, okay, so the argument is the screens that show the outside world, did the screens that show the outside world project this? Like, is that what she... Yeah, where else did this get projected in the silo? Because we have a shot with everyone watching her cleaning, her go mm-hmm. out to clean, and no conversation is being had about what they saw. No. So I... I don't know who ends up seeing this. I don't know how much control Danny has of what display this gets shown to. All I could think about is like in a in a jury trial where something, you know, gets thrown out, evidence gets thrown out, and the judge has to turn to the jury and be like, listen, I know that the witness <laughs> said this, but you need to unhear <laughs> all of it because it's not admissible. Mm-hmm. And the jury's got to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, 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 sure. That guy's guilty. That guy's guilty. <laughs> um... <laughs> Anyways, he does yeah. make Sims look away too, which was also kind of interesting. Again, we understand that Sim does not know as much as Bernard, but Bernard's still holding these things very close to the to the vest here and not not having Sims look. Right. I does Bernard passively aggressively bring this up for like the next couple of days where he's like, "Hey, pretty crazy when those birds flew across that screen," and the person's got to be like, "I don't know what you're talking about, sir." And he's <laughs> like, "No, no, no, no. You know, between us, we're just you know." shooting the breeze you can you know how cool were those ducks flying in v and the person's like yeah that was pretty cool and he's like go to the mines he immediately <laughs> sends them to their death i don't know yeah. if i was bernard i'd be playing with some people's heads but we have people playing with ac units which um <laughs> would be a terrible way to die tom if you were in a garbage shoot and you were Han Solo and Leia, and someone threw an AC unit into the compactor. I that feel would, like the uh, AC unit does not take up the whole space of that trash compactor. Do you fall and take your your chances falling? And I'm glad that she fell on a bunch of pillows. That was very nice. Or do you take your chance of still holding onto that ladder and hoping it doesn't hit you? I just a saw a train? bunch of hard drive, or not hard drives, but like servers or super heavy stuff fall before they did the AC unit. Right. So the idea right. that she falls on this cushy pillow was kind of comical but again I, I get what they're doing first off i'm not jumping second if it's a train ac unit like one of oh, the wow. like okay. 16 Brand. or like the 21s i'm probably just taking my chances you know okay you're saying if you it, could take a train yeah yeah i definitely take a train like if it's one mm-hmm. of the newer samsung uh hvac units oh you know what? I'm probably sticking around for that one, too. Now, if okay. it's a... I, I've run out of H, uh, H, uh, AC units. Apple. So. Let's just call it Apple. If it's an Apple HVAC. Oh, I'm definitely jumping. I'm definitely jumping. <laughs> Death before Apple. That's for sure. <laughs> Anyways, she jumps. I, I agree with you. This was this was show ch- chicanery. This mm-hmm. was like... Uh, and then the people that are down there to have the wherewithal to pull her body off before the AC crushes yeah. it. Like... <laughs> How often are bodies falling through that chute? <laughs> There's one guy's job. He's the body guy. And he's like, ah, great. We've got body duty today. 
means I'm not going to be moving anything. Or it means I'm moving like four bodies because people are constantly jumping down the trash chute. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But she uh, is down there recovering. Walker's like, Walker's doing the classic dab the forehead with a washcloth. She's like, oh, you just fell 30 stories? This washcloth will take the pain away. Um, Sims and <laughs> yeah. Bernard show up. What's the guy's name? Knox? Oh, Knox lets him in, which leads to some tension within Mechanical. But uh, mm-hmm. Bernard comes in. Th- she destroys the hard drive, as one does. Tom, when you destroy a hard drive, do you use a hammer? Do you use a drill? What's your typical destroying a hard drive? It's interesting, too, because I don't think Bernard is almost some symbolically destroying the hard drive here because you should use a screwdriver to actually destroy the disc and everything inside of this thing or not a screwdriver but i guess a drill but he just kind of smashes it with a hammer which kind of gives us a little mirroring of the scene of the guys from judicial destroying um hannah's juliet's mom's microscope so it's kind of that i think little kind of call back there but i don't think bernard doesn't want this thing truly destroyed he wants people to think it's destroyed when he looks at it a little bit later so you think when he's holding the disc, that's him like saving the hard drive? Like he breaks the outer, but he's saving the disc? Yeah, so like not to get like technical, but like that part of the disc, that is like it's the rigid disc or platter. That's what holds all the information. So the fact that that thing is still intact and he kind of took it out means that he can probably repair this or send it to another silo to repair. I, I don't know what with it, <laughs> but the fact that they uh, featured it, you know, it's got to be. I'm sorry, what'd you call it? The platter? <laughs> it's referred to as the platter or the rigid disc, yes. Ugh. Nerd alert, am I right, Tom? <laughs> Listen to this guy. Oh, man. Wait, you're the one. Okay, never mind. So Bernard hits it with a hammer, and but he doesn't destroy the the plate platter. Uh, I'm, the rigid I've disc, yeah. Recently, uh, the floppy disc. Um, uh, <laughs> he's like, Listen. If you want to save your friends down here, I need you to stop asking for a trial. I need you to waive your right to a hearing. Uh, mm-hmm. Essentially waive her Miranda rights so that uh, he can send her out to clean, but he doesn't have to kill any of her friends. Yeah, it kind of gives it a little carrot, like, hey, well, I'll tell you about the truth of George and like do more than just tell you about it, I guess, right? And we ultimately get to see a little video and everything else. But, you know, doing what these kind of tyrants do is is playing on her emotions and playing on her friends. Like, if you want to do right by your friends and you don't want us to, you know, torture, kill, do whatever to these people that had nothing to do with this stuff, you need to kind of go by our playbook. Right, right. See, you're, you're pitching him as a... I don't know. I don't know where I land on Bernard. I don't find him pure evil. I think he's. Just I don't think doing he is. I'm with to, you. Yeah. Uh, well, I think I mean, he's. He's following his agenda to keep this thing alive and to keep this thing going. You call he's doing him it by any means disc, necessary. You know, and I just don't accept <laughs> that he's a rigid disc. Anyways, Walker leaves her room and goes and sees Carla. I guess Carla is no longer married to Turk, so. This is what leads to her finally leaving her apartment. That was a Scrubs mm-hmm. reference, Tom. <laughs> I barely got it. I barely got it. But yeah, this is a huge moment, right? Like Walker finally stepping out of her apartment and doing so after some kind of conversation with Juliet. We don't know exactly what it was, uh, but this is where we meet Carla. And I think Carla is the woman we saw in the photo and I think the ex-wife of of Walker. I think that's what's assumed. But they kind of talk about the fact that Carla here works in supply so i guess supplying supplies throughout the silo yeah they play this up like it's a big deal walker leaving her little workshop 
I don't know. How hard is it to walk outside of a room? You know, I just didn't. <laughs> 25 years I, or something. I, yeah. Like, probably uh, difficult. I didn't really buy it. I feel like, uh, I mean, her name's Walker. Like, how hard is it to walk? Come on. Yeah, touche. Anyways, there's a conversation about Walker making better heat tape. I mean, obviously, we know where this goes because we watched this episode, but I found the heat tape of it all or the sensor wool all very interesting. Mm-hmm. I liked the idea of this being like a bigger element than I ever gave it credit for. I always thought it was just, oh, Juliet stole this tape for whatever and it gave, you know, Bernard upset or whatever about it. But the fact that this does have a deeper meaning and Bernard's kind of trying to hide something here, I thought was pretty cool. And I like the callback. Good point. Yes, his his anger is not necessarily that she just like lied and stole something. It's that the tape is, I guess, defective or ineffective. And mm-hmm. that being out in the open is something that he's afraid of. So, yeah, that's interesting. Bernard shows Juliet the cameras. Juliet's like, look at the resolution. Are these OLEDs? Are these uh, plasmas? I don't know. What's she? She blown away by the resolution? Is that what she's blown away by? I, I'd love, I, she's blown away, but I love her line saying, like, we never had a chance because she doesn't know the extent of, like, how many people were watching, how many right. cameras they really had. And yeah, her line of just saying it was, it was all futile effort, but she did a fantastic job to get the answers that she got. Actually, someone in the room should have been like, actually, you, really, you had a really good chance because we had all these cameras and you were still able to escape like for a long time. So You were crushing uh, it. Yeah, you were actually doing real well. We're surprised we <laughs> caught you, in fact. Can't believe you're standing in this room right now. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. They play the video of George's death. This is supposed to be emotional. I don't know. Was George... I guess the point of this is George did this to himself so that he wouldn't be tortured to give up his friends, right? That That's what he kind mm-hmm. of... I mean, he really jumps to a conclusion real quickly, right, Tom? He jumps to that conclusion super <laughs> quickly, right? He does, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what floor he was on, but he was he was high enough to... He didn't uh, bounce. We'll just say no. that. <laughs> yeah. But, I, I mean, I, 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 I liked it. I thought it was pretty emotional for me it didn't like make me teary-eyed or anything but and it because of their relationship being so kind of odd and dynamic and we know that george was using her to a point but there certainly was love there and what got me the most is when george puts like his hands on his heart and looks directly at that camera like almost knowing one day that juliet might see this and he kind of right. gives like one more like i love you kind of look to camera it was was pretty brutal here's what i wish george would have done tom I wish instead of, because of the laws of aerodynamics, instead of him putting his hands across his chest, which create no drag, I wish he would have stood up on that wall and started to flap his arms like a bird and Mm -hmm. shouted, I can fly, and then jumped off, and then realized his mistake. That's what I wished would have happened in this scene. You were but, looking for like a Peter Pan type situation. Right. Well, I mean, he's seen the video of the Jane Carmoni uh, cleaning. He's seen those birds mm-hmm. flying in a V. So he knows how flying works. So, I mean, <laughs> I just wish he would have given it a try. That's all. Maybe he okay. would have made it. Maybe he would have died. We'll never know. Mm-hmm.
Doc Daddy visits Juliet in her cell. Jorah Mormont is a great crier. That's all I'm going to say. The actor, he does, he, he does a great wet eyes. I mean, mm-hmm. the master of, of uh, wet eyes is Mel Gibson. I know his name is kind of taboo now, but um, <laughs> uh, Doc Daddy does just a fabulous, sad wet eyes. Yeah, I, I love the scene here. And like Juliet almost kind of says like, hey, I didn't say I wanted to go outside. But she realizes they've got cameras. They're watching her. Can't tell the dad the truth um, and, and needs to keep him safe. And then we cut to Lucas and Bernard once again. Poor, poor Lucas. He's going to get 10 years in the mines. I don't understand where the mines are, Tom. We haven't seen anyone go to the mines. We haven't seen anything come from the mines. Mm-hmm. I don't understand where the mines are. How you get to them. Are the mines through the 15-foot door that no one's supposed to know about? I don't understand where the mines are. Tom, yeah, tell me initially, where the mines are. <laughs> my thought would be like the mines are just like they tell people they're going to the mines, but they're really just like killing them or taking them out. But he like sentences him a certain amount of time to the mines. And you got to imagine this silo needs to, we said that kind of maybe runs on steam, but to create that steam, somebody needs to shovel coal or iron ore, whatever he says they need to do. My thought with Lucas here is I think he's, he, he pushed Juliet's story forward in a handful of, of sequences but I almost feel like they introduced him as a means for a character we now know to be in the mines. So maybe in season two, they explore that idea or concept a little bit more. Mm. Maybe Juliet runs into him or we actually see what the mines are. Because they were mentioned too many times throughout the season for us to not potentially visit them in maybe book two, three, or season two or three. Here's what I hope they're not doing. I hope they're not going to draw such a strong bond between Lucas and Juliet that he's the reason she like returns or has to rescue him right there's not enough there like i understand the george and juliet love story Mm -hmm. i don't feel like like if they're trying to make lucas the replacement for george i'm going to be a little bit upset because i just don't feel like they've developed that enough yeah i agree all right we have a message delivered in hush puppies uh, from (laughs) walker Uh, tom are you familiar with what a hush puppy is uh, yeah, they're delicious. Okay, wonderful. I'm not going to name names, but somebody in my household didn't know what a hush puppy was and apparently mm. has never had one. So, Pity. Uh, joke's on them. It's a ball of bread made from dog. The <laughs> message says, have no fear, they are good in supply. Which I think we kind of come to know, or, or Juliet. This is a, My assumption is this is what Juliet told Walker right down there. Like, hey give me better tape or whatever. I don't know why she would have known that, but when Walker leaves her like apartment for the first time ever, she does bring that better tape up there. So that had to have been some form of their conversation, but I don't recall Juliet ever really coming to this conclusion or understanding that they she needs better tape for this walk she's going to, or cleanse he's going to go through. I feel like this is Walker. I don't feel like Juliet realizes the tape thing. I feel like this is just Walker knowing... I don't know. I gave this more credit to Walker than Juliet mm-hmm. predicting okay. this. But who knows? They do it off screen and they don't give you enough. Bernard comes in and once again, the pulse of Bernard and Tim Robbins is... Like, <laughs> he doesn't have to have this conversation, but he comes in. He has a... Almost like he feels guilty. Like he's trying to explain to her why he has to make the tough decisions. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, do you know when you went wrong? Well, actually, you were a mistake from conception. Which... Uh, did you 
did you dive into that thought at all, Tom? Did you did you feel like this made made sense? I think I mean because we had talked about that. Like if they're really trying to like root out people and like who can have babies and who can't, the idea of the daddy doc being a dad that was doing this for the silo and the quote unquote greater good, like he's likely the reason why they were able to conceive. Like he actually took her birth control out and was the reason that that Juliet was born. Because Juliet's mom building microscopes and other things, mm-hmm. uh, they would have wanted to breed her kind out in a way. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I like this sequence, though, to your point. Like, this doesn't need to exist, but I love how we get, like, the polar opposites of, of the characters. Like, the person we've been following and rooting for the whole time to uncover the secret. And then the mastermind behind, like, all the secrets. Like, having one more, like, all the cards are on the table. Let's have a conversation about it. I love these. Yeah. No, it was nice. Bernard's like, listen, you were of great service to the silo. You did a lot of good things, and then you became sheriff, and you <laughs> essentially stirred up all these things that were supposed to remain hidden. And I do like his analogy here. He's like, hey, with the generator, you had to make adjustments. You had to do things in order to make sure the silo doesn't go boom. <laughs> I am making adjustments, but he's making adjustments at the human level of like, hey, if this gets out of hand, if this person does this it's going to lead to a boom. So she makes generator adjustments. He makes murder adjustments. And Yeah, um, I liked it too. It, it's like the mirroring of the conversations about saying that I have the most important job in the silo. And this is just another way to, to think of it. Yeah, I, I got to be honest. I'm on Bernard's side. I think I'm pro-Bernard. That's where I landed after this <laughs> okay. conversation. I think Bernard's a hero, and I don't think we're giving him enough credit. That's what it okay. comes down to. Okay. Juliet talks about the display... And how it's not real. And she's, I don't know why she's talking to Bernard about this. I don't know if it's because she thinks he's not ultimately evil. I don't know if it's because she knows she might die. And so she's just talking to talk. I don't, because she reveals right here, she's like, George found the big door at the bottom. And I got the sense that Bernard didn't know about that door. Because just mm-hmm, the way mm-hmm. he, like, the way Tim Robbins reacts and, and in this moment, I got the sense that the door was a surprise even to him. Did you get the sense that he knew about the door or was this a revelation? I agree. His look is like very ambiguous. You don't know what to take of it, but it doesn't seem like he's like all knowing of everything going on, which as an audience, we kind of assume he does. And then he gives a line saying like, yes, the founders left um, many mysteries. So he understands that there's, likely more than even he doesn't know but i think from juliet's perspective like she's going out to clean like just getting everything off her chest and assuming that bernard does know all about this stuff knows about the door knows about everything else i think i can understand from her perspective again they're having this kind of like last conversation you might as well just throw it all on the table so i guess maybe maybe bernard knows more than most but not everything so like he I think is, that's it, yeah. I, I, he is in the dark to a point, but he is given enough that he thinks he has enough to control and make the adjustments. So mm-hmm. I love Juliet here. She's like, guess what? You can send me out there, but I'm not going to clean. And Bernard's <laughs> like, everybody cleans. I just. It's an interesting line because we've heard that plenty of times. But knowing now what we know, she knows, and Bernard knows that she knows about like the video and everything else. It's kind of odd that he would say, like, she's not going to clean. Well, so she knows the display. 
She thinks the display is a lie. So she thinks when she goes outside, it's going to be all pretty and beautiful. But right. again, if, if she has that knowledge and Bernard knows that, why would she think Ber- like she would clean? Like, cause she knows exactly what it's going to look like on her end. She knows what it looks like on the people's end. How is cleaning going to help anything? Well, I think the idea is that they're revealing, they're trying to show everyone else the, the beautiful world out there. But yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to break my brain if I think about it too hard. Um, Bernard gives her Holston's badge, which um, is a nice gesture. Yeah, I guess it was her, I guess, official last request. Sure. My last request would be probably apple pie and ice cream. and mm. um, Hush puppies? Maybe an, uh, no, not hush puppies, but maybe an oxygen tank and a... Loud kitties? Uh, <laughs> Quiet hamsters? <laughs> No, I don't like how much that tickled me. I don't like... No, I reject your joke. No, no, okay. no. All right. Uh, good work. They they suit her up. Bernard is looking at the, the hard drive. It's called the rigid disk top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad Thank at you. myself. Oh, man. Walker is watching the cleaning. She's made it all the way up to whatever level shows the display. And um, once again, they make it out to be a great thing, but her name's Walker. She should be able to walk wherever she wants. Mm -hmm. Now, there is a hidden surprise cameo in this, which I didn't pick up until I watched some internet videos later because I don't really know the gentleman. But the author of the book series is one of the guys kind of in the audience watching uh, the cleansing here. Uh, Hugh Hugh Howie, I believe his name is. Yeah. Is he just counting all of his dollar bills as he's (laughs) standing in that? Knowing I that. like it when a production like is gonna include like the creator, writer, and all that stuff. And he's sure. and again not featured. He's just kind of in the background. You can very clearly see him. I think like Walker wa- walks right by him, or maybe um, who's the other guy down deep that like, kind of ultimately um, gave up Juliet. I think it was that guy. It's kind sure. of relates to him. I mean, you've always said your favorite part of any M Night Shyamalan movie is the twist where M Night Shyamalan is in the movie. So mm-hmm. um, I can understand why you would enjoy that. Her last words are, I am not afraid, which Mm. uh, I thought was great, and I believed her. Uh, Then she is sent outside. They do make a point of when she's getting all suited up, they show the uh, taping of the wrists and everything. Mm -hmm. And once again, I don't know if you noticed, the box is called sensor wool, which I thought was an, I don't know what that means. Well, in the first book of the series is called Wool. So, I oh, mean, I'm aware. I, I read it yeah. <laughs> 10 years ago. So I don't know exactly what the one thing I remember, is. Tom. <laughs> but like, I mean, I, I don't know exactly the reason why the, the book is called Wool, but I mean, you can make the argument like pulling the wool over sheep's eyes or like whatever that oh, interesting. phrase is. Like the idea that they're pulling the wool over everybody's eyes here. I think that probably kind of goes into it. But the idea that this heat tape was like a catalyst for why other people potentially got poisoned and i'll kind of put on my like tinfoil hat here i i found it very interesting that they kind of she walked so um uh, paul opens the door kind of that little staging door before she walks out and then goes up that ramp when she walks into that door they close the door behind her and then they spray her with this like mist and stuff which you would think okay they're just decontaminating the room or whatever because then afterwards they like light the room on fire which we saw i think in holston's walk you wouldn't decontaminate a room before like a subject or somebody would go out. 
So my assumption is, and again, I don't really have much to back this up, but I'm wondering if the world outside isn't necessarily poison, but this room is the poison mm. and they're delivering the poison to them before they even go out. And it's, you know, they only get as far as that tree because that's how long it takes them to, to take effect. Come to the, sure. Yeah. Okay. But she like was it. able to overdo that. Cause I don't, I don't understand the idea of her maybe in the second season, like, where does she go? If she can't really survive out here without her helmet and everything else on, doesn't look like she has like mass amounts of oxygen. Um, so I like the kind of idea that they are purposely poisoning them before they even leave right. the silo. Right. No, I like it. I think it's a good, I think it's a good theory. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could argue is that the world outside is contaminated and the fact that they've taped her with the good tape allows her to live longer or at least longer than the other people that only make it to the tree before they die. Well, um, I think it's both because they could they could knowingly have bad tape and realize, okay, we put bad tape, we poison them before they go out, and we know the poison is going to seep into their suit because they have crap tape. But sure. it doesn't seep into Juliet's because she had better, and they don't know that. Yeah, she has non-crap tape. I like mm-hmm. it. I like it. She sees the same birds, the same display, and then I don't know how many times she's uttered the, the phrase, the display is a lie. <laughs> um, I kind of want to be like, which display? But so now she's realizing her visor display is a lie, right? Yeah, and I like how she comes to this conclusion very quickly based on all the other research and, and what she knows of the silo and just the crazy mystery. Whereas um, Allison, she knew the same thing. She knew there were birds. She saw the video. Um, when she goes outside to do her cleanse, she sees the same thing, but she doesn't come to this conclusion. She still thinks that the world is this beautiful, lush, green forest or whatever. So sure. I like that. Um, Julietta's kind of smart enough here in this moment to realize, yeah, this is the lie. Well, maybe Juliet also has more time than Allison did in order to realize <laughs> what's going mm-hmm. on here. She's got enough time to walk over to the camera, pull her sponge out, and then do an epic sponge drop. <laughs> I immediately just thought like thug life where like sunglasses would just fall in front of her face like sure. a meme. <laughs> yeah. So good. Great yeah. job. She doesn't clean. Everyone... Everyone is a gasp, You're right. I think is probably a phrase. Bernard's watching and he says, she knows. Sims is like, she knows what? So Sims, again, still in the dark. Right. And then we have a great cutaway where Bernard uses his like disappearing ninja gas and then he departs <laughs> the room. Yeah. Juliet trips and everyone thinks she's you know going to succumb to what's happening outside. Uh, and she puts her hand through. A, see, this is what I thought was I thought was weird about the whole display thing. Is like once you realize your visor is bad, like aren't you going to try and do something to that visor in order to see what the world really looks like? Well, you could argue like, that's maybe what Holston did, right? Because he was like kind of freaking out, and he's the one that ultimately took his helmet off, and that's what made him see his wife and then kind of crawl to her. Because she doesn't know, like, she's not feeling any, like, ill effects right now of, like, any sort of poison. Because she seemingly doesn't have any running through her system. So her tripping is her just tripping. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was on another body or, like, Holston's feet or something like that. But, yeah, she knows. She's still just kind of trying to figure stuff out. She very kindly gives the badge to Holston, who Mm, wakes up and says, I knew you'd come. And then he takes the badge. So Holston not alive. I'm sorry. I I don't think you got that one right. Oh, you think he's dead? I don't know. I think there's still a chance. He's just been sleeping for, I don't know, two years? Is that how long mm-hmm. it's been? 
I don't know. So where'd the badge come from? Did she put it in her little package? I mean, it was the last request that she got from Bernard. I'm assuming she just had that in the same little thing that she had from her little pocket for the the wool to clean the uh, screen. So, you know what she should have done, Tom. And uh, mm. listen, I hate to Monday morning quarterback. I hate to Monday morning clean, uh, mm-hmm. as they say in the silo. But mm-hmm. she should have taken that badge out, put it in front of the camera, so that it just had the truth scrawled on the back of it. So every time mm-hmm. they look at the display, it just says truth. And that mm-hmm. way, all those people know not to use tobacco products. So, yeah, ultimate truth bomb. Yep, there you go. She keeps walking over the rise. Bernard runs to IT, and he uses his number 18 key to open a door. Well, so he goes into a room. This door is labeled server room. And then we don't see what's in it, but we see the reflection from his glasses, which seems like it's just a bunch of, like, uh, fluorescent two bulbs like above him just like going on so maybe this is just a huge room that has all these servers but i'm i'm with you about again just the oddness of bernard and his character and what his motivations are because it almost seems like when he gets here when he goes into this room that's when her display turns off so he's almost like is he helping her is he giving her giving her the truth so then she can do something else like I don't, I don't understand. I, I my assumption is they're timed together. Like he went there, he knew she was going to figure it out, and he wanted to do something to help her and turn off this display. Or is the display thing something where it's like a, this little dome? So when they're in that little circle on the outside, once she goes over that ridge, because it seems like when she goes over the ridge is when her like face screen or whatever kind of goes away. So I'm wondering what ties into that that screen changing back to what we know to be the real world. My interpretation was I did not associate him going to that room and her display shutting off. My assumption was the display has got to be battery powered. These people only live for a couple of minutes because they're poisoned. I mean, they don't have lithium batteries that last for hours. So the assumption is she, she outlived whatever Mm. keeps that display running long okay. enough to give them that bit of hope before they die and so she so what's he know. doing then like why does he run why does he the second he realizes she knows why does he run to the server room is he trying to do something else to my thought her? is my thought is that she has lived longer than she should so he mm-hmm. realizes hey she's done something that the poison is not going to kill her or the death sentence is not going to take her and so he is trying to communicate with whoever mm-hmm. is giving him direction you know hey or what the protocol for uh when someone you know makes it this far outside gotcha. okay um that's kind of that's where i got i didn't uh, i didn't think he had control i think it's more interesting and once again i don't understand bernard as a character in terms of like what he really cares about whether or not he thinks the outside is so terrible whether or not he knows they're poisoning people I don't know if he knows those things. I, I mean, he does make the comment, he goes, it won't be long now, or he says something like that, but maybe that's just because he's watched enough cleanings, he knows how long they last before mm-hmm. they die. But I think him being with IT, he knows what the displays are. He knows that the visor and the helmet is fake. And so my thought would be, is he's just realizing she's done something to overcome the poison that you pointed out. And so that's gotcha. that's what he's okay. trying to communicate with someone. That would be where my brain goes. But okay. 
When the display goes away, Juliet sees that the world is decimated and that there are rows of silos. And they ain't filled mm-hmm. with corn, Tom. <laughs> yeah, not only do we see these this beautiful wide shot of these silos and everything, or at least rings of where we assume silos would be we see kind of a crumbled city in the background so we still don't know exactly where we are if we are in atlanta and georgia who knows but i don't know if it really matters at this point um i found it kind of interesting that you know when you stop and think about this like the silos if if these silos were they had to be premeditated so i'm assuming this isn't some, some sort of like nuclear war or winter because they would have uh, wouldn't have had time to be able to build all these things underground. And they're not built in a way that you think they kind of would be, like all in like a row or like how crops would be. They're kind of all just scattered in the middle of the desert or wherever this little wasteland is. So I thought that was that was kind of interesting. But what was like what was your like moment? Like did that just kind of blow you away or did that remind you of the books? Like, oh yeah, that happened in the books. No, I in the back of my mind I always knew there would be more didn't know but my theory was there were going to be more than one Mm -hmm. silo and so i didn't think this was a world where only these ten thousand people existed i mean it's a cool reveal and i'm glad they did it at the end of the season like this in terms of what caused it i don't know but you're right it points to like a premeditated hey we know something's going to happen so we have to build those silos i think you could argue that even like if it was a result of nuclear war, if you're in a war and you know that there's a likelihood of those Mm -hmm. being used, then maybe you do have time to build silos before, you know, the, the one hits, but yeah, I, it was a cool reveal. It was cool, you know, shot. I do appreciate a lot of the shots of just Rebecca Ferguson's eyes, like her looking around, like realizing she she Mm -hmm. does a, she does a great job of just acting with, like what she's looking at and and like those shots inside the helmet and same would be said for uh the gentleman that played holston um but Mm -hmm. yeah it's a those are really cool shots yeah ultimately looks like the world's doing well and everyone's gonna live a long time and uh (laughs) rebecca's gonna uh, i'm sorry rebecca juliet's gonna ignite all of the silos form probably a democracy that's fueled by capitalism which um i'm excited to root for and again we had a lot of like interesting additional questions once we see these i feel if you look at some of the kind of silos they show in the wide shot some of them don't seem to have that little kind of underground door for somebody to walk out of it so i'm wondering if some of them like it might have been covered in dust so maybe nobody's cleaned for a super long time maybe these were failed silos all of them kind of have like this ring around it for like a little like ridge for them to walk over, but they all have kind of opposite of the camera facing the other direction, kind of like a little area that's kind of like cut out or like a divot in there. So maybe like a vehicle or something could like go in there. So maybe they're doing maintenance or something on it, but I feel like it was very deliberate in the CGI. It's not just like a perfect circle over everything. So I just, I, I love this ending of a season because it gives you all these questions. It really makes you want to start season two right now. And like I had mentioned, man, I'm still seriously contemplating picking up these books and, and giving them a go because I would love to to see how this story kind of plays out and see how closely book one followed season one of the show. Yeah, now that we've finished season one, I will probably reread Wool uh, just to see how much of it is covered in this. My fear is that it will go outside of the season and I kind of don't want to know uh, because we will watch season two and it's fun not knowing. I would encourage, I would always encourage people to pick up the written word and give it a try. I know Tom. Even is, me? Yes. Even someone, even if you're going to go pick up that written word and burn it. 
there's a chance that maybe <laughs> while you're burning it, a page flips out and you actually read a sentence. Uh, and even that is progress. So I'll take pictures of the fire and then pause the fire. <laughs> Very good. Very good. No, I I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the show. I thought it was really well done. There's a, there's mystery left over uh, that will lead me to want to watch season two. I don't know how long the wait is in between, but I, I, I do think they did a, a good job. And uh, even though maybe there's some stuff in here that was kind of like predictable or rote, they did it mm-hmm. so well and it's so well acted and it looks great that uh, I was still enjoying the ride. So I, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think there was, yeah, there was definitely some mystery that was relatively easy to untangle. I think even probably most so with the end reveal of the screaming, the lion, which one was with like the constant birds they kept showing us over and over again. But I kind of like that. I like how they give us maybe some of these bigger reveals so we can, if we, if we get that stuff early, we can start to kind of piecing together why, you know, the people that understand a lot of the mystery are doing the things that they're doing. But I, I liked the, the heat table. I thought was really cool. I like how they kind of brought that back in this episode and made that be a big catalyst for her being able to survive. And I'm with you, man. Like the acting, the cinematography, the directing, everything about this show I thought was just super cool. And where they go from here, who knows, right? Like we've already met a lot of people in this silo. We definitely want to see what happens to these characters. But I mean, where is where is she going to go? Is she going to head to another silo? Is she going to get picked up by somebody outside do they have people roaming out there like maybe that's what bernard did is she gonna go all the way to the city that's kind of you know um abandoned in the background like maybe there's something in there it's it's just cool it was a it was a fun fun ride and i very much enjoyed talking through this show i'm assuming she's gonna go to the next silo knock on the door they're gonna answer and she's gonna be like you know would you like to hear the story of jehovah and (laughs) i don't know maybe hand him a pamphlet or something do you guys have any pizza (laughs) <laughs> i don't know i'm excited we'll do uh season two when it when it comes out our next adventure tom is going to be after party for those of you that listen to this one um you have an apple subscription go watch after party season one it's a really fun show there's some mystery there tom and i watched and talked about that one and we will be hitting up season two for those of you that reach out to us and email us, we uh, always enjoy hearing from you. So we do appreciate that. And we appreciate those of you that have stuck around for this weird, weird ride. <laughs> um, I hope every show we do is always a little bit weird. The outer range of it all is what I what <laughs> I'd like. More Will Patton in my life. That's all. Uh, you can reach us at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. Tom will talk about all the other important stuff. The last thing we do ask is, uh, if you enjoy this, hop on Apple Podcasts. I know every podcast asks this, but rate and review. Um, and, uh, yeah, we just appreciate those of you that listen and interact with us. It's fun. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll continue the conversation. We got Instagram, Twitter at Team Binge or Team Binge Podcast. If you want to get some Team Binge merch, you can go to tpublic, T-E-E-Public.com. You can search for Team Binge there and find some cool shirts and whatnot. Uh, but again, thank you again, Julian. This has been a, a very fun show. I'm glad we kind of chat through it and uh, excited for our next adventure. Yes, yes. Tom, did we get to all of the stuff that you wanted to talk about, but you were afraid to talk about earlier in the episode? We did. We did. We, we, we tied it with a little bow.
Wonderful. Well, I'm glad you're satisfied. I'm still angry. No, Tom, I, I appreciate right you. Now. <laughs> oh, I am a little hungry. Tom, I appreciate you. Thanks for uh, conversing with me about this. We'll be back for the after party. I have been Julian. And I have been Tom. See you next season, everybody.